0: Very often um, what becomes an urgent high priority is a is a very emotional response. You get an email, maybe it's a client, maybe it's accounting maybe it's you know it could be anything and it it strikes you as as really, really important because it's an urgent topic but often it's it's not really urgent it's not really an emergency it's just something that that strikes a nerve with you and it's something that kind of triggers that emotional response. So I really and I I encourage my entire team to do this. I really encourage people not to schedule same day meetings, because what happens is you just don't have enough time to work on what you need to accomplish and, and what your long term goals are. And you start allowing other people to kind of control your calendar and control your day.
1: Winning at Work, episode 47 with Ivan Weiss. Ivan is the EVP and COO at Elite Studio E. You know, Ivan's got a unique position as chief operating officer over a a large professional services company. He has a unique way of managing and organizing his organization. So if and when there is a crisis... He is in perfect position to triage. His skill, his superpower, if you will, is one that we all need to learn how to adopt. And this approach to business and to operations is very much needed for all executives, all managers. We need this type of system to operate very smoothly and to keep those customers satisfied When things do go wrong, because let's face it, it is business and things can go sideways. If you want to connect with Ivan, you'll be able to find his LinkedIn profile and the links to Elite Studio E. Should you want to upgrade your food service, dining facilities anywhere in the country, Ivan and his team are there ready to do just that. Sit back, enjoy. This is a fantastic episode with Ivan. Uh, Ivan, thank you for uh, joining us today and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. I'm excited for this. Yeah. Well, this is a huge topic because it is very complicated, and I know in your business you're running so many different aspects of the business that the first thought that came to me is, you know, how do you triage? How do you <laughs> how do you control a situation? You know, when it um, starts to spiral out. But I don't want to. I don't want to get, get ahead of ourselves, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, Ivan, and then let's kind of move into our our topic, our theme today.
0: Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm the COO of the company. Um, we're a family business, so my uncle and I started the business back in 2000, and I've always had a, a passion for design, um, certainly always a, a passion for hospitality and, and food service, and kind of putting the two together. Really kind of gave us a natural uh, opportunity here to do all aspects of what I love in in managing people, being involved in business, um, but also being involved in design and building things and seeing projects through fruition, which is, which is really exciting. So every day gets to be something different for us, which is, which is wonderful.
1: Yeah. The variety is uh, paramount when you're in the kind of design and build and implementing. Uh, space that you're in and of course food service is going through massive disruption so there's no no shortage of of change Um, I know we weren't necessarily going to discuss that but I would love to kind of just hear your thoughts on just you know what these changes are I'd love to you know find out a little bit more about about that I know we hear all about ghost kitchens virtual kitchens there's all kinds of things that are popping up out there but uh, maybe we can get to that at some point later in in the uh, in the episode.
0: Yeah, it's um it, there's a, there's a lot of conversation on a daily basis around that. It's the whole industry certainly has been uh you know turned a little upside down by the pandemic, but you know, I look at it from a silver lining standpoint of this is how innovation is born. So there are some really exciting things like you mentioned with ghost kitchens and delivery services um and a lot of new technology that are really kind of changing the business for the better. So as much as it's a struggle, it, it certainly is exciting as well.
1: In your line of work, everybody's coming to you all the time with, with problems and issues. So how have you organized to run an effective organization?
0: Yeah, that you know, it's the hardest part about my day is that often the way I plan my day is not how my day ends up. Um, so I'll normally, you know, start my morning. Uh, I'm very routine-based, so I really focus on that a lot. So every morning, you know, I'll have a cup of coffee and kind of get myself organized, go through some emails, go through, you know, my action items for the day, review my calendar, kind of make sure I'm really set up for success. But very often, you know, early in the morning, there's an email, there's a phone call that's that's already a departure, a change. So I know, you know, we spoke about a little bit. Uh, before. But I'm a big fan of a a system called GTD or Getting Things Done by David Allen. I've been a a longtime supporter of it. And I really use that um, in every part of my business or in my personal life as well, just to help keep me focused. Because what I set out uh, to achieve and and my task list, if you will, or what's on my mind from a, a company development standpoint often has to take a back seat, you know, based on client needs or contracts or anything else that that comes in. So I always make sure that, you know, I'm handling those client matters first and foremost, and I keep everything, you know, in my mind and available to me as,
1: you know, as the day progresses. Well, it, it makes sense that you're client first because you're client facing. Tell us a little bit about this philosophy of David Allen and getting things done, this GTD. It sounds like it's something that we all should Try to implement into our own lives.
0: It is, in fact, uh, you know, p- people that know me often hear me talk about it at nauseum because I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of it. But basically, <laughs> you're a promoter. I am, I am, I am a promoter. Um, but I can tell you that um, basically everything everything that comes to me, you know, it gets, the first step's what you call capture and everything gets recorded and stored somewhere. And, uh, and I have a system, you know, electronically that everything gets written down. And, and again, those that know me don't believe me, but I have a, a pretty bad memory actually. So it's something I struggle with and this helps me get around that. So every single thing, every action I know, every thought or idea that I have gets jotted down. And that, that's part of that routine that I was speaking to you about first thing in the morning, you know, I go through any of those thoughts because sometimes the best ideas come, you know, in the evening, overnight, whatever. Um, and I'll jot those thoughts down, and then I'll think about them, and I'll prioritize them and categorize them based on, you know, is this uh, is this finance, is this HR, is this something in my personal life, is this a client matter, and then I'll I'll work in different areas based on um, based on where the day's taking me. So again, first thing in the morning, I always. Start off with all my client-focused activities, going through anything that I need to do there. And then uh, very often I'll spend a few hours focusing on, let's say, finance or HR or internal projects, things of that nature. But the idea is that everything is is written down, everything is stored, everything is captured, so that basically I can handle things and have a reference and, and a level of detail to it. Um,
1: when I'm ready, ready to work on
0: things. And if it's, a, if it's a back burner type of thing, it's there whenever I'm
1: ready to get to it. So this idea of capturing your thoughts when they come, are you carrying a little journal with you or is this an electronic device? You just put it in your phone. What's your, what works for you?
0: I've gone back and forth a lot. Um, and as much as I like, I like paper and jotting things down, it's just not always there and I don't like carrying things with me all the time. So I have a, an app that I use on my phone and um, literally, that's the process. Any thought that comes to mind, jot it down. And the beauty of that is, is it doesn't have to stay in my mind. So it allows me to stay very clear because I don't have to be, I don't have to be focused on remembering something. It's there. It will be there when I get to it. Uh, I can focus on whatever
1: my priority is at the moment. But that that thought's not lost on me. That's an interesting way to look at it, right? When you're trying to hold on to everything in your mind, you're kind of cluttered. Not allowing yourself to take in a new idea or think about something that needs to be done, what do you know the name of the app offhand
0: yeah the, the name of the app i wish they they would change it it 's not the best name of the app, but it's called uh, facile things uh, f a c i l e things um, but there's a there's a zillion different apps out there so if you if you research the the getting things done by Dave, david allen there's all types of recommendations,
1: but that's the one that I use all right that is kind of a an odd. <laughs> That's an it odd is. name. It is not very yeah. marketable.
0: No, it's something I say that to them all the time. So it's kind of a best-known secret because you're not going to
1: find that unless you're specifically looking for it. Tell us a little bit more about this um, overall organization. I think it's uh, I think it's fascinating how you've compartmentalized.
0: Yeah, so I I am very calendar based. My calendar dictates my life. I'm in my role. I have a lot of people fighting for time for me. So um, very often I'm I'm book solid throughout the day. So what I'll do is uh, certainly any meetings that come in, you know, again they're all holding time on my calendar. But then if there's key things that I need to do from a um, a time perspective, there's a deadline or something that I need to hit, or it's very very high priority and it it has to be accomplished on a certain day. Then what I'll do is I'll, I'll time block. So I'll take that uh, that next action, as it's called, you know, from the system. And basically, uh, the app that I have actually syncs with my, my Outlook calendar. And I'll be able to say, let's say I'm doing it today from 10 to 11. It will block my calendar so that I'm dedicated to that task or action at that time. And I make sure that I have time held for it. And I, I treat my calendar, you know, as pretty sacred territory, as funny as that sounds. Um, you know, in the office, everyone, everyone knows there's a little bit of an unwritten rule that, you know, I, I really try to avoid same day meetings unless they're absolutely critical. And I try to um, plan things out in the future a little bit and not be reactive to every single thing that pops up. So the goal is, you know, those critical things that have to be done by a certain time, reserve time on my calendar, and I know, you know, how much time or how many things I can accomplish in a day based on on what's on that calendar. Then what I'll do is I also block out some time outside of that basically to handle, you know, work time. So I'll have some time to go through maybe some of those non-critical activities that are on my list um, so again it's all it 's all accounted for you know time wise on my calendar and uh, and I make sure to leave enough time for for those surprises that that are going to come in because i I know they 're going to happen
1: now you said something I want to make sure I understand this, maybe get a little more of a philosophy behind this. You said you 're not a fan of same day meetings
0: i 'm not no i I think that very often um, what becomes an urgent high priority is a is a very emotional response. You get an email. Maybe it's a client, maybe it's accounting, maybe it's, you know, it could be anything. And it, it strikes you as, as really, really important because it's an urgent topic. But often it's, it's not really urgent. It's not really an emergency. It's just something that that strikes a nerve with you. And it's something that kind of triggers that emotional response. So I really, and I I encourage my entire team to do this. I really encourage people not to schedule same-day meetings because what happens is, you just don't have enough time to work on what you need to accomplish and and what your long-term goals are. And you start allowing other people to kind of control your calendar and control your day. So often, you know, in my role, I have very long-term initiatives, you know, for the company, I might be working on something that's a six month out type of project. And if I allow everyone to kind of control what my day looks like, those things will never get accomplished. So that, that's kind of my way of saying, you know, I'm in charge of, of really what my day is going to look like, and again, I encourage my entire team to do that. I very rarely will schedule a same day meeting for anyone in our in our company um, because I, I think that everyone needs to have that time to
1: work on you know
0: their short term and their long term goals.
1: That's a great practical approach, particularly if you have a lot of fires and things that seem to pop up. It forces you to stick with your priorities.
0: Yeah. And I think it, it, it prevents you from getting overreactive to those things that pop up because they, they need your attention and they are critical and they are important and you need to have time in your day for them. But you don't need to be overreactive because then I find, um, you know, that's, that's kind of when the company gets on the mouse wheel, if you will, and you're running really fast, but you're not going anywhere. And uh, you can't be evolving and growing and, and accomplishing new things if you're, if you're just chasing those, those quote-unquote emergencies that come up. So uh, I always find that really important. And um, I also find that it, it creates a better working environment. You know, people are, are a little bit calmer, a little bit happier, better morale when you're not dealing with as many of those situations on a daily basis or, or creating them when they don't need to be there.
1: Wow, you've really hit the nail on the head. I can't tell you how many people, when I've asked them why are they interested in looking for another opportunity, at some point I'll hear stories about these um, fire drills, as they're called, right? And everyone jumps into a meeting, and then it just blows up their day, and then they just get further and further behind. And I think this is beautiful. You've created an environment, a culture of – not this emotional response. You have control over your day. You have control over your calendar. And if it's important, then let's schedule a meeting and another day, who knows, maybe new information comes in. Maybe they think of an answer. They can solve it on their own, right? By actually putting in a 24 hour cooling period, who knows? You might've eliminated, you know, an hour of time for three people and that's three hours of productivity.
0: Exactly. I mean, I don't get me wrong. They happen, right? We try to avoid them, but those things do happen. And we do have the fire drills and we'll have the emergency meeting. But I think that, you know, when you look at, like, as you put it, the, the cooling period, you allow yourself to kind of reflect on what is really happening and make a much more sound decision and make a much calmer decision. And it's often a better decision. Um, because you just take that minute to reflect on things and, and think about it from different angles. Um, you know, it's kind of like if you write a, an email very quickly, and then if you let it sit in your drafts and you look at it two hours later, you know, you're often, ooh, did, was I really going to send that? So it's that same thing. <laughs> guilty it's charged. Exactly. Let's just slow down for a minute and let's just make sure that that's really how we want to react um, and that's how we want to approach the situation and we've, and we've thought about it, you know, from all angles and from everyone's perspective, because everyone will see those situations differently. You know, the other thing that you said, which I think hits a key point for me, and I talk about this often with my team is that those meetings are expensive, you know, and, and if you take three, four people times two hours and you really think about a, you know, a salary just to put a dollar equivalent to it, that meeting might cost you, you know, a lot of money it could be a couple thousand dollars. So when you think of it that way, it also helps to just, you know, just slow it down a hair and, and make sure that you're, you're making a much better decision.
1: That's a powerful image. Everyone literally, I bet, just started thinking about what's my salary. What's the salary of my teammates. And they literally just kind of did some mental math and realized that's an expensive meeting. That's a,
0: and, yeah. And your opportunity costs, what could you have been doing that you didn't do?
1: Transition us. So you, I know you've said the calendar is sacred in, in these things. And I, 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 I think that's a, an area that I need to be more vigilant in myself. Um, but one of the big areas we wanted to talk about though, is this, well, you kind of put it as, you know, compartmentalize or kind of hover over issues, opportunities to make sure things are getting resolved. Is that, is this kind of that area we're, we're talking about now? Um, similar, a little different,
0: you know, I, I look at it as, um, I've, I have a lot of respect, you know, for my uncle who's the owner of the business because he allowed me always in my career, um, you know, besides the fact that he's family, but he's always allowed me from early days of my career to make decisions and learn by my decisions. And, you know, he practiced, you know, he certainly would get involved when he needed to, and he would always, you know, coach or mentor or kind of push me in a, particular um, direction that I might need to go in, but it would also allow me to make, make a mistake. And I think there's a lot of power in that. And I try to do the same thing with with my team. You know, often the answer, or at least what I think is the right answer, might be very clear to me, but instead of just jumping in, and, and this is hard to do, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm guilty of it, but it's, you know, I'll bite my tongue and, and, and sit maybe in a different corner in the meeting room to really take myself out of the leadership role and kind of allow those people to, to run with that decision. And I might ask some key questions that might cause them to kind of pause and reflect on what they're doing. I might give a little suggestion, but I, you know, that's what I kind of call that hovering, if you will, is I try to stay involved to make sure we're, we're not doing something wrong. But I really try to allow the team, you know, my team to to learn and grow and make those decisions and kind of see things and and work through the process because that's going to make them better for the future, which is going to make all of us better for the future. And I think there's a lot more value in that than, than me being at the center of every decision. So I, I take a lot of pride when I'm not part of those decisions.
1: Ivan, mean, how do you decide whether or not to be in the meeting? Because I know – in my current organization, the CEO knows that if he's in the meeting, things the meeting is going to go very differently. So how do you make that decision for yourself to the, be there or not be there? It's a big struggle. In fact, I just had a conversation yesterday with one of my colleagues about potentially
0: removing myself from a meeting because it, exactly what I, what I was afraid of and probably what you're referring to was happening where people wait for me to speak or they allow me to kind of take the lead. So – you know, a lot of it has to do on the nature of what is being discussed and how core it is to uh, either a situation or to the business as a whole and whether or not it's something I want to be personally you know, involved with at every level because I, I think there's a lot lost when things are just reported back to me. It kind of becomes like a, like a little bit of a telephone game. I'm relying on that good information. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love to see the interaction and the way ideas are created. So I I really thoroughly enjoy being in the meeting. So it's it's a little mentally hard for me not to be because I I enjoy seeing the process and seeing everyone working through these things. But at the same time, I know that when I'm going to overshadow a meeting and it's going to become more of let's wait for Ivan to, to weigh in on this and then maybe we'll agree with that or when it's going to be leaning on me heavily to make a decision that I don't think I need to make, you know, that, those are situations when I'll, you know, I'll try to remove myself if it makes more sense.
1: I do know that you have to continue to push the, the culture and tell people that, you know, they're owners. They need to be making the decisions, and it's, you know, we know you can't control anybody, so by being in there, you can't control what people think. You can't control their actions. People need to see the mission and take the action steps to complete the mission. And if they're not the right people and they can't complete the mission, then they shouldn't be in the company in the first place. So I know that's a – I don't mean that to sound callous, but you know, when you have that goal in mind of having the right people that make those decisions and they're self-governing, then you know, it makes it easier to not be a part of every meeting.
0: Yeah, and I think it's you know in our situation, um, I really respect uh, the leadership on our team that has to go through this because I I can't I can't imagine what it how it is on their side, but you know we're a family business, so um, rightfully so, a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of the decisions that are being made, a lot of the key decisions may include a couple members of our family because We have quite a few that work within the business, but we we take real great pride in the fact that everyone is, is part of the family. And I know there's a lot of companies that say that and it sounds like rhetoric, but we really mean that. And in no way, shape or form do we try to overshadow or, or think differently you know, from input that's coming from anyone that has, uh, that has you know, certainly contributions to make to those outcomes but on but, if I look at it on the other side, I'd imagine that that's probably especially for someone that's newer that doesn't really understand everything that's probably a difficult situation to be in, and I would imagine that there is a little uh bit of intimidation there about you know can I speak up? Is this part of what I can do um and we love input, we value it from everyone, you know because everyone's idea is a good idea, you need all those all those inputs coming in. But uh, you know, but I imagine in our situation that that un- until you're with us for a long period of time, that might be a little bit of a challenge.
1: I think it's a challenge for any new manager, any new leader. They almost need to be given permission to do it.
0: Yeah, and to have the confidence to just grab it is uh, there. There's very few people that are like that. I certainly love those people when we come across them, but um, there's very few people that are confident enough to just just grab b- the bull by the horn and and say, "Hey, I'm I'm taking charge on this," you know not worrying about if it's appropriate or not. And again, that's a great, great skill. I, I'd encourage anyone to to do it, but you know, it takes a certain level of confidence to make that effective.
1: Let's talk. Okay. So you've got these systems in place. You are part of some meetings. You're not part of others. This is all kind of your normal kind of operating day. Now a problem arises and it's, it's blowing a hole in your calendar. So this was the the origin thought really of of this podcast for for you is to discuss your skill, your strength of how do you triage? How do you repair something that has gone horribly wrong? I don't want to overstate that but <laughs> luckily we don't have a lot
0: of horribly wrong. I'm not going to say we do, but I, th- we do there are those clear the deck moments, let's say that. That's for sure. Yeah, well a- again, part of the reason that I love that system is it? it enables me to do that. So I can clear the deck. I can open up my schedule. I can back burner things because I don't have to worry about, okay, I gotta, I gotta stop all this stuff and I gotta think about where I am and I'm in progress. It it will be there. So when those situations come about, um, and again, they do, it's exactly what I call it. I call that, that clear the deck moment. And that is open up the calendar. Find out where I'm needed. You know, at what time it, it sometimes is physically. You know, sometimes it's I need to get traveling and I need to get to a project site to a client site. Sometimes it's getting on a call. If it's a client situation, it might be with clients. If it's a vendor situation, you know, again because of the nature of what we do, our vendors are very key for us. So I might need to get heavily involved there. Whatever it is, I really think it's important to just make yourself available and listen to what's happening. You know, again, not to see that emergency situation and immediately start reacting and, and pulling triggers and moving things. You know, I, I think the important thing of, of triaging, as you put it, is very quickly, but gather all those facts. You know, what happened? How did it happen? You know, um, what, what do I need to at least kind of Stabilize, maybe not resolve the situation, but at least kind of eliminate it from that emergency, you know, mode. Um, that's the first step for me of how do we, how do we basically slow, you know, how do we get it to that point where it's, it's organized, it's calm, it's thought, and we can then start dealing with it. What I don't start focusing on is, you know, who made a mistake or who did something wrong or what happened four months ago. That doesn't matter. What we have to look at is how do we, fix the situation where it's no longer an emergency, you know, then we can reflect and look back and say, okay, you know, what, what led to this and could we do something differently um, in the future? But, but literally it's that simple. It's, it's clear the deck, make myself available. Um, I have a bunch of, you know, key quote unquote, you know, right hand, you know, men and women, that I'll kind of lean on to give me their advice and their input on what's going on. You know, I really don't make those situations just personally. Um, I don't make those decisions just personally on my end. You know, I I bring in kind of a key group of people just to make sure um, I'm reflective of all sides. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, and that's a good way for them to develop too if you're just there to listen, gather the facts, maybe ask a few probing questions, and that allows your executive team or management team to kind of go through the ideation process and, and solve the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think often they're taking steps in that direction. So I don't want to you know, undervalue what they've already done by then, you know, taking over on my end, because I need them to, like you said, be comfortable doing, you know, handling these situations in the future. And I also think that often these emergencies are actually, you know, opportunities. So I, I know I, I harp a lot on the, on the client side, but obviously it's very important. And sometimes through these emergencies, you you build a relationship with a client that you've never had before. It's at a different level because of the way you respond to it. And they trust that you're going to be there in the future. So, you know, that's something that we always take a lot of, um, you know, concerted effort into is making sure that we're very responsive, you know, overly so, very communicative about what is going on. And we make sure that everyone feels comfortable that, okay, you know, as a company, Elite is handling this. Because that that immediately diffuses the situation when everyone knows it's being handled.
1: Yeah, talk is cheap. It's easy to tell a potential client or a prospect what you can do and then you get into the situation and then suddenly you over-deliver, you know, actions have now replaced whatever your marketing brochure might have said. Now, you might have a customer for life, by the way, you've just invested time, energy, empathy, you name it.
0: Yeah. I mean, we had a situation a few, uh, few months ago where... A product, you know, that uh, that was installed, it it failed. There was a, it was some millwork that had a problem with it, and, and the product actually failed. Um, wasn't directly our product, but obviously, you know, we put it in place. And again, in that situation, just immediately, first off, making sure there's no safety issue, which luckily there wasn't. But then immediately, you know, mobilizing a crew to to get rid of, to take the product out off the job site. Um, and then immediately start working towards issues, but happened over a weekend. And I, I spent much, much of that weekend on calls with the clients. I personally went to the, the site, even though it wasn't necessary just to see it and just be there and have a face, um, a presence on site, you know, and those types of things really quickly diffuse a situation. So, and I think that's the key is once you, once you diffuse that situation, then you can start resolving it, but you can't jump ahead of that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Diffusing that there's a real skill there to diffuse a situation, taking DEFCON three to down to a two, and eventually back to one, and then peacetime again.
0: Yeah, and like I said, you know, in that particular situation, um, I don't want to say we joke about it, but it's it's a, it's now a little bit of a lighthearted conversation because everyone's comfortable that it's handled. It was handled swiftly. Um, and it was handled effectively and and and, like you said earlier, that built a lifelong relationship because there's a trust factor that that really shows wow, you know they 're going to take care of of something if anything goes wrong like you said it's not that 's not a marketing brochure and that they're really going to do that.
1: You really do have to have the right people in the roles to begin with, and I think you had kind of walked me through uh, a scenario that you guys had thought through. I don't want to steal your thunder, but you did talk about, you know, hey, it is important to get the right people in the right place and in the right role. So you ultimately can't be successful as a COO if you don't have the right team structure and team environment. Tell us a little bit about this situation and and how you went through these changes and kind of what the results were. Sure. I mean,
0: people are everything to me because – you know, even though we have, you know, quote unquote products, you know, via food service equipment and millwork and installation at the end of the day, we're we're a service-based company, right? We're providing project management services. We're providing design services and at the core of service is, is customer service and is people being able to manage that and being able to execute. So for us having not just the right people, But like you said, having the right people in the right positions is so critical. And what we noticed is that when we were a very small company, we first started, you know, when there was five, six of us and it grew to 12 and 15. It was very easy because we could all anticipate each other. And we really, we knew what was next, you know, and we really had a good sense of in this situation, you know, this is where I need to go to keep our project moving forward. And I know how to execute at that level. And our entire team did. When we started growing and we started getting north of, you know, 35, 40, 45 people, it changed a little bit because there was almost, and it was never intentional, but there there almost naturally came this red tape that came out of nowhere of we need to get things approved. We need to get decisions made. Um, and that, that wasn't coming as a top-down, you know kind of order, like we need these things, that just naturally happened. And what I started to see was that we had people that were very capable of making great decisions, but they weren't being enabled to do that. And it was, it was this almost kind of natural evolution of a company. And I think all businesses go through that at some point, um, you know, that, again, that red tape type of scenario. And it really took away some of our, our nimbleness which is something that's really critical for us. You know, what we started to look at is the other piece of it was synergy. And what we started to see is that part of the reason that happened is instead of the same 12 people working together all the time and anticipating each other's moves and knowing each other, you know, we had 45 people, um, some of them in different parts of the country. So the communication was different and they weren't necessarily ahead of each other or communicating you know at the right level with each other making sure that things were kind of almost on autopilot really happening there was there was this another level that started to be needed and and it caused us also to have a little bit less synergy even with our clients whereas people would work externally with different people in our in our business and have we would be learning how each other work over and over again So it kind of led us in in 2019 to say, okay, we need to restructure. And when a lot of businesses talk about restructuring, you know, they talk about downsizing. That was not at all what this was about. There was no intention and there was no, you know, layoffs or anything like that. But this was really looking at, as we grew, how do we now return our people to the right positions? And most importantly, how do we get them more customer-focused because everyone, whether they're in sales or not, everyone is servicing our clients and our projects. And that's an approach that we take. And I wanted to make sure that everyone was thinking that way. So as we grew and we became more internalized, you know, some of that separation between our projects happened and and that kind of, it lost um, a little bit of its magic there. So when we went through the restructuring, we spent a lot of time you know, the first thing we thought about going back to the people. The first thing we thought about is morale, because when everyone hears restructuring, they get really nervous and afraid. And that was really important to me. I did not want anyone in the business to feel that this was reflective of their performance, that this was reflective of their future, you know, career with us, um, or that there was any challenges whatsoever. This was this was a business growth and a and just a business maturing step and it was not about you know any wrongdoing by anyone on the team. So we literally would sit at every meeting discussing this, and we had a, an internal group, um, you know, Raquel was a family member, one of my cousins and, and Aaron and Eric and a few others in our business that were kind of critical to this, evaluating every single step and where we were placing people, and we would always open it with what does that do from a morale, morale standpoint? Do all these personalities work well together? Are they gonna feel empowered by what they're doing? And that that's kind of how we started to approach it is from a from a people pers- you know, place first, of making sure that this was going to be something that was gonna be great for our team as opposed to just great for the business.
1: Yeah, I love that you talked about morale first and that literally you were diffusing potential fear. You see, this is a skill of yours that you tend to use wherever you go, and that is you know how to diffuse a situation. So you were literally looking ahead and saying, this could be a problem, and you diffused it before it even came up.
0: I think it's just being human. You know, it's just, just understanding that if if I was in that position where if all of a sudden everything I did for the last 10 years, my role was changing or my position was changing, and not, not my day-to-day job function, but the, the you know, who I report to or what the structure of it is, if that was changing, that that creates a lot of angst and a lot of fear. And I think it's just um, being human and just looking at it from that perspective of saying, well, we need to, you know, and it doesn't mean that it, that it didn't happen, but just, just understanding it's going to happen and anticipating it and being human about it and being transparent about it, you know, I think it helps. And I, I you know, one of the things that I encouraged as we were going through it, once we started rolling it out and we really thought very carefully about how we were going to roll this out, you know, and communicate it. But, um, we all believe in an open door policy. We really want to make sure that anyone is comfortable at any time coming to speak to us if, if you are concerned so that we can, we can resolve those things. But the the focus was on, you know, keeping our team happy and making sure that we could be a little bit more nimble and a little bit more agile with the way we were approaching our projects.
1: And it sounds like you guys had some some great uh, success even, you know, right away from the change.
0: We did, yeah. So, so we broke our team down instead of, you know, one larger organization, so one larger design studio into teams based on our clients. So our clients who love this, got dedicated teams that they work with on a routine basis. So they started working with the same group of people over and over again, which built great synergy right out of the gate. And it enabled us to not only handle more volume, but more importantly, handle better quality and better consistency in the work. Because, you know, I didn't expect this to be an outcome, but but it kind of was. Not only did we go back to be able to anticipate what each other was doing on a colleague level, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, where we're a smaller business, but we're now able to anticipate it at a client level. You know, we're so engaged with our clients because the teams are dedicated to a particular client that, again, they know how each other work. So the synergy there is is phenomenal. And we launched this in January 2020. You know, just as everyone else, we had a Vision 2020 plan. And then <laughs> COVID showed up, you know. COVID showed up and turned everything upside down. And if we didn't do this, that would have been a much harder situation for us. This really allowed us to, um, to execute and adjust
1: our business when, when the pandemic showed up. Um, a lot
0: easier than it would have before that 's for sure
1: I bet your client retention now is is much stronger that synergy i can it just makes perfect sense where you 've got the same people dealing with talking with the customers on a regular basis rather than different people rotating in and out based on who 's available
0: hundred percent and then it it started to grow even beyond the projects like now we 're doing very routine you know review meetings you know with our with our clients. Outside of a project where we're talking about initiatives and growth opportunities that we could take together to mutually benefit both businesses, whether it be, you know, creating new brands or new design concepts or, you know, other initiatives that they may want to roll out to, to their clients. But because they have a consistent team on our side, they're able to be a little bit more focused instead of saying, hey, I need to renovate, you know, this particular location. I'm also thinking about this bigger picture idea. Can you partner you know, with me on it, so it's been it's been a tremendous success.
1: Well, tell us a little bit more about Elite and Studio E or Elite Studio E. Yeah, sure. So, Elite Studio E
0: came about. We started the business um, in 2000. We officially started operating, and really, we were a, a design build company aimed at doing refreshes and renews renewals for corporate food service. So, for example, um, any large corporate campus that you can think of, their headquarters, they'll often have, you know, coffee bars and employee dining area, things of that nature. And the business started basically surrounding of how do we take those, you know, maybe old dated tired spaces and reactivate them and bring energy to them. Very often over a weekend, flipping, you know, kind of like flipping a house almost, but flipping a concept, bringing in new brands, new concepts and and elevating that dining experience. From there, we launched Studio E Design Group which is our design arm, just became a natural evolution, where we do uh, food service design, consulting, interior design, graphic design, marketing support, and all those types of initiatives. And then fast forward down the road, that came full circle, and that's where the Elite Studio E name came about. It's a combination of those those two entities. And we're now a a full-service, turnkey, design-built company that handles everything from you know, smaller retrofit projects, like I spoke about earlier, to multi-million-dollar new construction projects in the, the food service and hospitality world.
1: What's the range or scope uh, across the country?
0: We do everything. Uh, all, all states. We've even done work in in Hawaii. The only state we've not done work yet in is Alaska. So, if someone's got something in Alaska that will allow us to check that box. Um, but domestic. Shout US, out
1: to Alaska. Let's go. That's guys. right.
0: All, all states, we do some work in Canada as well. So uh, mostly domestic United States, 48 states now.
1: So we, I talked about this at the top. I, I've just noticed the pace of change in food service is just astronomical. Give us your take. What's happening and what can people expect?
0: So there, there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, um, with what is happening. But I really believe that we're in the, in the amenity business. And when I look at food service, you know, and we we do work in a couple different sectors. We do corporate, like I spoke about. We do higher education. We do healthcare. And when you think about these different spaces, although although in different ways, they all have the same challenge. How do they draw people back to the workplace? How does a a college or university attract students to say, not only do you want to go to school here, but you want to live here, you want to be a resident here? Um, in the healthcare setting for elective procedures or for example, labor and delivery, things like that, amenities are a bigger big attraction. How do i you know what hospital do I want to be associated with and and food service and hospitality is such a core amenity because people love to eat right Think about every holiday regardless of of what your your religion is. Most holidays are surrounded around food, right? That's a big that's a big component. Family gatherings are all around food. That's right. The kitchen's you, the heart of the of the house. Kitchen kitchen's the heart of the house. And when you think about needing, some of the most effective business meetings or lunch meetings or dinners and things of that nature. So food is a is a central hub to social activity, to business activity. Um, And even to to Oasis, you know, if you're dealing with a a challenge in a hospital, stressful situation, you know, you you look to to food as as kind of a comfort. So I think that food service, although it's going to change through the pandemic, it's still going to be that central hub. And the challenge for us right now is we're used to building spaces that bring a thousand people into, into one constant space, you know, one environment. So obviously that's not a very popular thought right now. But how do we still create that experience, that social gathering, you know, that business opportunity, utilizing food kind of as that central hub? And, I, and and how do you extend the amenities throughout the buildings? And that's the challenge that we're looking at. But that's why I really believe that our side of the industry, I mean, the restaurant side is a little bit different. But for our side of the industry, um, I think the the service model is going to be different. But I think the need and the basis for the amenity is not going to change. And I, I think you're going to see like I said earlier, a lot of innovation and a lot of growth and a lot of technology that's coming out of it. There's some really exciting ideas that are that are coming about. But I believe that, that food service and hospitality is going to continue to be that that center hub of you know corporate dining, healthcare, higher education, and and family gatherings, all of the above.
1: Yeah, because you're not gathering a thousand people together, so you almost need to break down into these little micro kitchens or micro hubs, maybe throughout a, a corporate campus rather than having these one, you know, these large gathering spots.
0: Yeah, that's a big part of what we're looking at. But again, you know, collaboration is critical and in the last ten to fifteen years, businesses have made such a, a, a huge move in the collaborative environments. And there's so much. There's so many studies out there that show how valuable that is. That I don't think it's a matter of is that going to go away. It's just how are we going to fully create that, you know, with social distancing or limiting uh, gatherings and, and and things of that nature. So I I think the the mechanism might change a little bit, but it's still going to be there. And I think it's really exciting for for pushing the industry that sometimes is a little bit slower to kind of evolve just because of the size of it. Um, I think it's really exciting to see how this is going to kind of push the envelope a little bit.
1: And I imagine some companies, depending on their views and their beliefs, they may think that things are going to return to normal and there's no need to change. And we just wait and things will go back and other companies might have a different belief and they want you to design and create something new. So I imagine that a lot of this is going to be driven based on what your end customer wants and that you're not necessarily going to go to them. The, the tail's not going to wag the dog, so to speak.
0: Yeah, very true. There, there, there's definitely those two schools of thought. Um, I think the underlying theme um, is that the only thing that people are certain about is that they are uncertain about what is really going to happen. And <laughs> Amen. Us, they don't know. Yeah, that's really it. So uh, flexibility is everything right now, and what we are educating our clients on is let's not take that hard stance and that belief of which way is it going to go. Let's think about both scenarios and, and develop a solution that is flexible and adaptable enough so that it is going to work in both scenarios. Because, like I said, that the only thing that we know is that we don't know. And uh, I do believe that, that it will return to some uh, sort of normalcy. But like I mentioned, I do believe that there's a lot of innovation that's coming out of all this. And I think that's going to be here to stay.
1: So as we wrap up, tell us, are there any critical needs? Are there opportunities for people to, you know, connect with you guys for opportunities?
0: Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, we are uh, very much uh, people, people. So we, we, we are always on the lookout whether we're you know technically uh, hiring or looking for someone on our team, um, but we are always looking for people that are that have that attitude and, and looking to to join us in, in our mission and what we're doing. So I always encourage people never to, to hesitate to reach out. And on the flip side, obviously anyone that's ever uh, looking for help in any of their hospitality or amenity spaces, we're always there to help and, and happy to, to reach out and engage people. Um, and third is just on trend. We love talking about what we do. We're really passionate about it. So uh, we're always welcome to have people reach out to us in any way, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, email, any
1: any social media. Um, we love speaking to people about, about what we do and who we're all about. Thanks, Ivan. I'll be sure to, you know, get you guys tagged and we'll put all this information out on social media so everyone can find you guys and connect with you. And I just got to say, I love the your organizational strategy, I think the way you manage a calendar, the way you've given people permission to wait, to cool off, to not be so emotionally driven, so response driven. I think that is very, very practical, very sound advice that um, I know we can all benefit from. Um, Ivan, thank you so much for this, this very informative session today. Yeah, my pleasure. I really appreciate it.